at around nine o'clock at night, I heard a, a rustling in the trees behind us. The first time I peeked out, I didn't see anything. And the second time I peeked out, there was a probably 800 pound bear with his front paws on my kayak. And so uh, it was an interesting evening to say the least. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Happy Monday, everybody. You know, Mondays make up 15% of your life. Don't make them miserable. Be happy. Hope you did something fun this weekend, something adventurous, something to one day bring you on this show. Because a lot of our future guests are out there listening right now. But today we are talking about sea kayaking and why Brett Friedman likes it better than backpacking. You know, it might not be better than backpacking. I know that's opinion, of course. But he, he brings up some really good points. And for those of us who are aging, maybe our legs, maybe you just don't want to carry a heavy backpack up a mountain anymore. <laughs> Well, biking or kayaking can kind of uh, take relief from those joints and, and put it on the water. And he also mentioned something about how sea kayaking provides you ice cold beer at the end of a long day, which is pretty appealing, to be honest, <laughs> um, without the use of ice, which is awesome. He is, uh, it, you know, we wanted to talk about um, his experiences sea kayaking, but he's a teacher and it comes out so clearly in this episode. This almost should have been like a life outside the box because he basically tells us how he's built his uh, outdoor career as well as teaches us from you know, uh, from the basics how to see kayak. And I really enjoyed that. And he, he, he was a fantastic guest. So thank you, Brad, for that. And uh, yeah, enjoy this, enjoy this conversation, y'all. Today's episode is sponsored by... Athletic Brewing. They are the makers of the world's best craft non-alcoholic beer. And there's a number of reasons why you would want to drink non-alcoholic beer. You determine what it is for yourself, whether it's health, whether it's training, um, all sorts of reasons. A lot of good ones. They are also the funders of the Adventure Sports Podcast Adventure Grant. And we are giving away $1,000 on June 15th. Application is open until June 1st. We've had a lot of submissions so far, but you know, if you are planning a trip, please apply because the more submissions we get, the more of these, more funding we can get for next year. I'm hoping we can have $100,000 one day to give away to 20 people or 50 people or even 100 people at 1000 bucks a piece. That'd be awesome. That would be so freaking awesome if we could do that because adventure, my friends, that is the true education in this world. It is uh, You can learn a lot in school, but until you go out and do something on your own, man, there's, there's nothing, there is nothing more valuable and almost nothing that comes at a, at a better bargain. I would say the, my value, what I would say my trips are to me as a person, are priceless, yet the price of them was a a fraction of a fraction of what a four-year degree was. Well, a five-year degree, I, I, I took my time. But compared to the impact it had on me as a person, I promise you, if you talk to the people on this show who, who have gone to school or have other achievements, this is what they want to talk about if they have stories to tell. It's their adventures. It's what they've done. It's what they've done with their mental and physical strength and persistence and resilience, not just the mental side. You know, school definitely engages the mind, but adventure can engage both the mind, body, and the heart and spirit and all that. It's 
It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So I hope you're planning something. If you're not, start writing stuff down. Get something on paper. Challenge yourself this year. This year is still young. You know, we're we're going into May, but you know, you can get your body whipped into shape pretty quick. That's the beauty of the human body. Anyway, I'm I'm going on a tangent if you haven't noticed. So uh the the next sponsor is Aftershocks. They are the makers of headsets, headphones that don't go in your ears. They rest against the side of your head, right in front of your ears, so it leaves your ears open so you can train, bike, run, walk safely, and also hear the world around you while you listen to my my wonderful voice. Um, <laughs> also, CS Instant Coffee. They're the makers of 100% Arabica Coffee Instant Coffee that comes in these little packets you can take with you camping or hunting or whatever you want to do, and it's totally... come compostable packaging so you know don't litter but in case if it fell out of your pocket you don't have to feel too guilty you should still try to pick it up of course don't litter i'm you know i'm gonna get on to you if you litter um and also sway hammocks they are insulated hammocks that basically encase you in a sleeping bag that hangs from a tree and it also has a rain fly so it's like a tent sleeping pad and sleeping bat all kind of in one it's three and a half pounds and all those have deals all those companies that we just mentioned all have deals for you for our listeners and those deals are listed in our show notes and the last thing is brett friedman who is our guest today also has a, a lot of links um, he has a book out called go exclamation point it's go with an exclamation point the book's not called go oh, yeah. yeah you'll you'll see <laughs> Well, all those links for his social media, all that. If you have questions, like I said, he's a he was a Knowles instructor. He still is, and which is National Outdoor Leadership School. Yeah, I, sh- I should know. I'm a Knowles alumni. <laughs> but anyway, he he teaches for a few companies, sea kayaking and wilderness uh, medicine and all that, and he's. Gosh, he's just great at teaching. You can just tell through, straight through this episode. But anyway, all his links and everything are in the show notes. If you want to get in touch with him, feel free to. He's incredibly knowledgeable and very nice guy. So here's the episode. I'm, I'm going to do a little intro and just make sure I have some some things right. You're a Knowles instructor. Yeah, I was a Knowles sea kayaking instructor. Uh, I, I did my instructor course in 2006, which was actually when I did the, the, the Port Hardy to Bella Bella. That was on my instructor course. Um, and so I, I instructed kayaking for Knowles for three or four years and then um, slid over to Knowles Wilderness Medicine, which at the time was called the Wilderness Medicine Institute, um, and started teaching for them. Um, for a number of reasons, I had a strong background in emergency medicine. I was a paramedic and an EMT before that. Mm. Um, and so it was sort of a natural transition for me. Combined with uh, the courses that I taught for Knowles Sea Kayaking were month-long courses, which are just hard on having a normal-ish human life, you know? No, no kidding. That's a month out somewhere? Yeah. Holy yeah. So a, a month – I so my my – drive to teach for Knowles sea kayaking was that I had what I describe as an addiction to kayaking in Alaska. Um, and so I, <laughs> uh, for, for me that the path to make that happen was to, to work for a school like Knowles, which I had gone to as a student. Um, but that way, at least I got paid something to, to be away. Um, but the flip side is you're completely out of contact with the rest of the world. Um, and it's hard on, on, on many aspects of living a sort of a normalish life. So, so did you intro, did you approach Knowles for their sea kayaking or was that already going? Uh, I'm not sure what you're asking. You mean, did I, approach uh, did, did you them? approach them to start the program or, or was that something they already, no, offered? it was a long, it, it was a longstanding program. I was a student of theirs. Uh, I, I took a Knowles course in 2000, um, uh, and did a two week, um, I think it was a two week, 23 and over age group, uh, kayaking trip in Prince William sound and just left there feeling like I needed to re- sort of reevaluate what I was doing for a living. Essentially, I wanted to be working in the outdoor industry. Wow. What were you doing before? 
I was working in the photography industry in New York City. I lived in the West Village of Manhattan. Well, I, I'm sure some of those skills came into play on that sea kayaking trip. <laughs> <laughs> they they absolutely did. Uh, I brought a, a you know a love of photography with me into the, into the outdoors and into kayaking. Um, but I spent a, a large portion of my life uh, in dark photo studios and realized I want to be earning a living in the outside world instead of in a in a dark room. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how much I relate to that. This is. This podcast is about as much as I can handle, and I'm in my you know spare bedroom at a desk for a few hours a day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I couldn't do this, yeah, all the time. But at least I get to talk to cool people, and at least you were looking at amazing foot, you know, scenery. Well, if you were doing it in New York, it was probably a lot of buildings and stuff. But I mean, I I did a lot of things. I, I traveled a fair amount for photography, so I did see amazing stuff and and places that I've been back to since then. Uh, it was a great experience, but I realized that I needed to sort of transition that experience to something that was a little bit more beneficial for me as a, as an individual. And I wanted to have a, a bigger impact on people. You know, I, I the photography that I worked on was selling things. And I was like, we spend a lot of money. We spent a lot of time to to sell products. I, I want to have a different sort of impact on people's lives. And so I slowly transitioned to becoming an outdoor educator, which is what I do now. What was your education to get to this point? And, and then what do you do as far as teaching now, since you don't do those long, long courses? Yeah. So uh, in terms of education, um, a, a little bit of my backstory is that um, so the, the beginning of my transition to being an outdoor educator, like I looked at my background, I was already active in the outdoors. I compiled a list of, of like all the things that I had done in the outdoors. And it was a fairly good list. At the time, it was what we called a resume of outdoor experiences, right? And so mm -hmm. it was like 10 days of backpacking here and a week of kayaking here and uh, rock climbing here. And so it was just to sort of get a feel for what my, my experiences were. And um, I realized the first thing that I was going to need to do if I was going to work in the outdoor industry was get uh, uh, some form of, of wilderness medicine certification. At the time, the industry standard was a wilderness first responder course, which was 10 days long. And so I jumped on that and um, and decided to get that relatively early and had a, had a great experience um, taking a course from a company called Wilderness Medical Associates, which is based in the Northeast, um, had a, a great uh, pair of instructors and just walked away with the course, uh, just feeling super empowered and wanting to do more. And at the time, I had already left New York City and was living about an hour and a half north of Manhattan. Uh, uh, and New York State is particularly good about volunteer uh, fire and EMS. And so I immediately volunteered to be an EMT, with the caveat being is that a lot of the time when you do that, they they pay to you for you to get trained. So they would pay for me to, to become an EMT, and I would volunteer to work on an ambulance in the relatively rural community where I lived. Um, I did that for volunteered for maybe a year and then made the jump and left a job in um, graphic design, still looking at a computer all day long. Right. Um, and uh, and started working as an EMT. And then after about a year, I decided I was going to uh, get a paramedic certification, which is a, a little bit further up the, the chain of skills. And a paramedic certification is really you're just getting lots of little certifications and then you take a big test at the end. And at the end of it, I was just so exhausted. I said, I am never getting another certification again for something uh, in, until someone says, we're not hiring you because you don't have this certification. Um, and so <laughs> right. I, I managed to, to transition into the outdoor world um, without a degree in anything outdoor related. Um, I didn't go go to college at all until I became a paramedic where I did three semesters just to to run through the program and pick up all those certifications. Um, and I, I said to myself, like, so I'm a I'm a kayaking instructor. I've been teaching kayaking for 17 years and I'm not an ACA certified instructor. And I've always said the day I don't get a job because I don't have an ACA certification I'll go get an ACA certification with the one caveat being I've, my my current employer has paid for me to do a couple of little certifications because um, it helps them out. But 
Um, I, I just didn't want to spend the money and I didn't want to take the time. And I've been super fortunate. Now, today, if you decided you wanted to work in the outdoor industry, I don't know that you could pull that off. You know, I, I know four or five people that are in the process of getting master degrees in something outdoor recreation related. Um, and so I think that's normally what's looked for. I was a little bit ahead of the time curve. Um, and I'm, I'm 51 years old and I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And so I, I think that the, the amount of experience I have at this point has sort of gotten me through, if you know what I mean. I know a lot of people that listen to this show are, are interested in taking their passion for what they do beyond just a hobby and, and into at least a, a pseudo career, uh, myself included. Yeah. And, and I, I warn people. Man, I made way more money working in photography. <laughs> but the flip Which side is, funny, is I'm, cause that's a lot. Oh, that's often a side hustle for people, too. It, it is. Yeah, I was fortunate that I, I sort of fell into the photography industry. I actually worked in the film industry in New York for, I think, about eight years and then transitioned into photography. And I fell into it right out of high school. I had a family member that worked in the industry, which gave me my start. And I was uh, able to, to work well with people. And, and it, so it built relatively painlessly for me, which is very lucky. That's not the case for a lot of people. But the the flip side is I don't earn as much money now, but I'm way happier, man. I'm so much happier. Well, isn't that the goal? Yeah, exactly. And obviously there are, you know, things that I, like any job that you don't want to deal with, um, uh, I still do paperwork. I still spend time in front of a computer, just not as much time. Um, and I do get paid to go outdoors and teach people how to do stuff in the outdoors. But even that, like, you know, when I go paddling with students, I'm teaching them basic strokes and things like that. And I work really hard all day long to paddle slowly because they can't keep up with me. And I'm not a particularly fast paddler, but if you're a brand new paddler, you're just not going to be able to keep up with someone who paddles all the time. Um, and so, you know, there are, there are struggles and it's still a job, but it's at the end of the day, it's a lot of fun. You know, I've, I've been paid to see a lot of nice sunrises and sunsets. Wow. That is, that is fantastic, man. I, 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 I didn't expect to talk about, uh, all this in this way, but I, I'm glad you did because people are interested in this. Um, especially in the show every Friday we do kind of a business related, like how do I turn this into a career? Yeah. And you know, to hear your path to it is maybe something that someone didn't expect as well as just good to hear, you know, the, the climb, um, from just an interest to this. So, so can I, can we go into the sport? Like why sea kayaking or why kayaking in general? And how did you get into it? Yeah, sure. So I, I, it goes for me, it goes back a, kind of a long ways in um, in the mid 80s. When I got out of high school, I started rock climbing uh, for, for lack of something better to do. And I, I should point out that in 1985, when I graduated high school, there was no such thing as an indoor rock gym, at least in the United States. Mm. Um, and so I, I learned to rock climb outdoors um, at uh and was fairly self-taught, which I've got to stress is no way to learn how to rock climb. But rock climbing was a transition for me then into backpacking, and I backpacked a fair amount. Through, through I would say, the early 90s, maybe even middle 90s, I backpacked all over the Northeast and a bit in the Southwest. And by then, I'd done most of the Appalachian Trail. I'd say by 2000, most of the Appalachian Trail from the New York State line north so I spent a fair amount of time with a backpack on. And I have to say that backpacking in 1992 or 93 was a very different animal than it is today. My pack weight for a five-day trip, give or take, was in the neighborhood of 50, 52 pounds. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not a big guy. I'm, you know, I'm 5'7". I'm 165. I should say I was 165 then. I'm a little bit heavier now. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah, it does. 52 pounds is a lot of weight. And at the time, to, to do a, a longer trip, it, like, pack weights couldn't get much lower than that, you know? There was no such thing, I don't think, as a pocket rocket stove that weighed three ounces, you know? Um, and, and tents weighed six, seven pounds as opposed to two pounds today. You just couldn't get lighter. 
and it, I, I think I must have read something about kayaking and they talked about how great the food was on long distance kayaking trips, because essentially if it fits inside of a boat, it goes, you know, you don't care about how much anything weighs as long as you can get it into the boat. And I was sick and tired of eating freeze dried food. I think freeze dried food has changed a lot also in those 20 years, right? It has changed a lot. So I, I wanted better food and less weight on my back, and kayaking looked like a path to that. And so I'm not even sure how I got started. I'm sure I rented boats a couple times in other parts of the country, but what I started doing before I bought my first kayak, I knew I wanted a touring kayak, which would be 16 or 17 feet long, and I knew I couldn't store that in my apartment in the West Village, Right. Uh, it, it wouldn't go up. It, it wouldn't go up the stairs. I, I tried to see if there was a way I could make it work, but it wouldn't go up the stairs of the building I lived in. Um, but my sister lived on Long Island and she said that I could store a boat in her yard. And so before I bought a boat, I spent probably two or three years, I should say two or three summers, just about every weekend on Long Island renting kayaks. Um, and I did this because, you know, in the beginning, I didn't have the money saved up for a boat. I, I had my sister's offer to store a boat, but didn't have an easy way to get in and out from uh, from where I lived in the city to where she was on Long Island, other than the Long Island Railroad. And um, so I rented boats for a long time. And inadvertently, it gave me a really great uh, background of knowledge in what, what all of these different boats felt like. Um, to paddle and and how the a difference in shape affected performance and and as well as what do I like in a kayak and so it was a great period of time where I just learned so much about what I wanted and what what boats suited what I wanted to do um, and uh, I wish I could say I planned it because it was it worked out perfectly but it was a complete dumb luck which I'll take any day of the week. Um, I eventually ended up buying a, a 16 and a half foot touring kayak that when I first got in it, my, my brain said, this boat is, is way too tippy and, and way too hard for me to control. Um, but then I thought about it and said, but you know what? In six months, it won't feel that way. In six months, it'll feel natural and, and normal. But the byproduct is you'll have a really high performing kayak that you can do multi-day trips in. And, and in, after the fact, I realized that it really only took about two or three months for it to become a uh, home, you know, for, wow. for that kayak. Um, and it, it worked out perfectly. It was a big enough boat that I could do multi-day trips. I could do, you know, seven days, 10 days in it. And, and without resupply? Without resupply. Wow. And that's really the beautiful thing about kayaking is in backpacking, you know, what, what's the longest you can go without resupply? Seven or 10 days, depending on how it's you pack. Be heavy. You know? Yeah. And, and it's right. Your first two or three days is going to be horrible. And all you can think about is eating the food to get the weight out of your pack. <laughs> right. um, but in a kayak, if, if you've got the right boat and you pack it well, you can do 30 days unsupported. Um, no and way. that is yes. And that just opens up a world of, of freedom and ability. It, right now, is that a, a, over a, a, a kayak the size that you have or something bigger? Well, and so my boat was six. The first boat I got was 16 and a half feet long. Um, and it was a, a performance touring kayak made for smaller paddlers. Right. And so what that meant was that it was relatively low volume. It just was not a very big boat internally. Um, and so um, my the problem with more than seven or 10 days is it was it was hard to pack. It just didn't have all that much space internally. Now, I should say it didn't have all that much space internally. It had more space than, you know, an 85 or 95 liter backpack. But for seven or 10 days with all the gear you need, you, you need more space. And so when I decided I was going to do the inside passage, um, the first thing I decided or realized was that my boat wasn't suitable. And so I, I realized I had to upgrade my boat and I had to upgrade a, a handful of other pieces of gear because by then I was already a, a fairly skilled kayaker. By the time I made to do that decision, I had already done um, a Knowles course as a student and had an idea of long distance travel in a kayak. Um, and But so I realized that I needed a boat that was higher volume. And so the boat that I upgraded to um, uh, is a boat made by a company called Delta Kayaks. They're out of um, 
Maple Ridge, British Columbia. And it's uh, a thermoformed plastic boat. It's not a super expensive carbon fiber boat or fiberglass boat, because frankly, I, I can't afford a boat like that. This boat was moderately priced. But the big thing about it was that when I test paddled it, it, it fit me. I'm a smaller paddler. It fit me well and was fun to paddle when it was empty. But loaded up with gear, it was just a monster in terms of internal storage. So I'm sure at a, an outdoor store, you've seen a gallon can of Coleman fuel or white gas, call it what you will. Mm-hmm. I, I can store one of those gallon cans upright so that the, the, the closure, the lid is on the top inside my bow storage compartment, which is the small storage compartment. So just the boat offered a massive amount of storage, which was what I needed. Athletic Brewing is pioneering non-alcoholic craft beer. Yeah, I said non-alcoholic craft beer. And there's a number of reasons you might want to do that, whether you're training for an event, which a lot of our listeners are, or, you know, if, you, if you're babysitting and don't want to be drunk in case something happens. I mean, stuff happens, but you still want to sit down and enjoy the game and have a beer. This is an incredible option for a full-flavored, full-bodied beer. Each can is only 50 to 70 calories with IPA, golden ales, stouts, and tons of seasonal offerings. Athletic Brewing is a great option if you want that craft brewery taste. Uh, but not deal with the effects of alcohol itself. Uh, If you'd like to save 15% on your first order, go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. So have you ever tried to go hammock camping but suffered from CBS? Not sure what that is. Well, it's cold butt syndrome. And that used to be a problem, but it's not anymore with Sway Hammocks. They are insulated hammocks founded by Seth Hill that encase you in 800 fill down, keep you warm at night. And with the Sway Hammock, you get it all. You get straps, rain fly, the hammock itself is insulated. But not only that, it saves you a lot of weight. Have you ever added up the weight of a sleeping bag, a pad, and a tent? Well, with Sway, you have all that in one for 3.5 pounds of awesome warmness. You can find out more at Sway Hammocks, which is S-W-A-Y-Y, hammocks.com, and enter ADVENTURE for 20% off your hammock today. And that is also in the show notes. Wow. Now I'm just, I'm writing all that down because I'm, I'm actually very interested in getting into this. I've done some sea kayaking um, in Florida in the 10,000 Islands area. And uh, I'd love to get more into it because one thing that's, um, you know, a- as some of our athletes get older, myself included, my, my knees are taking a pretty bad beating and my upper body's still strong and fit. Now, now does this does does kayaking not involve the knees as much as you assume it does, or is it surprisingly hard on the legs? <laughs> no, it's it's not hard on the legs. And actually, I, I've I've helped I don't know seven or eight individuals that are outdoor professionals that were were professional backpackers, Knowles instructors or guides or whatever, who say the exact same thing. They're like, dude, I've been doing this for twenty years. My knees are shot. What am I going to do? And the answer is you transition to kayaking. Um, it's a relatively easy transition. You've already got the gear. You've already got the experience. You need to, to learn a couple of things, um, uh, one of which is how to pack a boat compared to packing a kayak. Um, but the biggest thing um, is you need to learn how to paddle a kayak efficiently. And what I tell people about kayaking is that the great thing about kayaking is that you can walk into a store you can buy a kayak, a paddle, and, and if we're lucky, you'll buy a, a PFD, a personal flotation device or a life vest. Um, you'll buy those three things. You'll take your boat to the water. You'll go paddling, and you'll have a great time. That's the great thing about kayaking. Wow. The horrible thing about kayaking is the exact same list of things, right? Because there is no um, preconceived notion that you need to learn how to paddle a kayak very few people seek out instruction in how to paddle a kayak. 
And if you've never been taught how to do, for instance, the forward stroke, which is what you do all day long, if you've never been taught how to do that correctly, it's super counterintuitive, and I guarantee you're doing it wrong. And so you, you do use your legs in the boat, but far more subtly than you do powering a backpack up the side of a mountain. You know, right, um, I imagine. It, yeah, it's a it's kayaking is not an arm strength sport. Kayaking is a sport of of core strength. Um, and what I tell people frequently in, in classes is that kayaking will not give you big, strong arms. It will not give you great cardio. What it'll do is it'll give you really good posture and really good core strength. Um, and as you sort of move up the the skill set those things just get better and better and stronger and stronger. And your legs are engaged. It is where power comes from in a, in a good forward stroke. Um, but it's not, you're, you're not using the kind of muscle effort, um, that you would use, uh, backpacking and you're, you're certainly not impacting your knees. Um, now the flip side of this is some people have a hard time sitting in the cockpit of a kayak for an extended period of time. Um, I, I said a little bit earlier, I'm not a particularly fast kayaker, I feel like everyone in life has a gift and my gift is the ability to sit in a kayak for 12 hours and not get out of the boat. Um, <laughs> and, and part of that is, you know, I, the cockpit of my boat is padded out to, for, you know, with padding where I need it and where I want it. And it's super comfortable. Um, I have a habit of paddling in cold, wet places like Alaska where man, the cockpit is nice and warm and cozy and I don't want to get out of the boat. You know, I, I paddle frequently with people who are like, no, I got to do a shore break. I got to stretch my legs and I'll just sit in the boat 10 feet off the shore while they're walking around on shore. I have no need to get out of the boat. Um, and, and my example, I think, is a little extreme, but a normal human being should be able to do two, three, four or five hours in the cockpit of a boat without legs falling asleep or bottoms going numb or anything like that. So, so what are some of the things that you enjoy about sea kayaking that you don't necessarily get from backpacking? Yeah, so that's that's a great question and I'm going to I'm going to say something that's going to upset most of your listeners uh Good. And, and I, I do every every episode. Well, <laughs> I I'm super careful saying this. I think this is the first time I've said it to more than a group of 3 or 4 people, but um so I I wrote a book last year called Go which is a trip planning book. At the end of the day, my goal is to get people active in the outdoors safely, building a connection with the natural world that a lot of people are losing, right? So I wanted to write a book um, about how to get people safely in the outdoors and sort of give them a process for planning their own trips. Um, part of that is that we highlighted three trips in the book to use as a, uh, a template for doing your own trips. And so we highlighted a weekend backpacking trip, which I think a lot of people do. And we decided to do that because I'm located in the Southeast. We decided to do that um, on the start of the Appalachian Trail um, from Springer Mountain walking north for two and a half or three days. The next trip that we, we highlighted was a 10-day cycle packing trip on the Blue Ridge Parkway. This trip I didn't do. I am a, a cyclist. I identify myself as the world's worst mountain biker. Um, but this trip was done by a, a woman that I teach with or did teach with at the time who is an avid cyclist. Um, and she and I worked on the plan and then she executed the plan. And the third trip that we uh, highlighted was my inside passage trip, was planning a month-long expedition-style unsupported trip, right? So we did all the planning and executed this weekend on the Appalachian Trail. We started on April 9th and hiked the trail for three days. And I, I didn't take an actual head count, but I'd be willing to bet that we were leapfrogging back and forth with 45 through hikers. Um, and that wow. was really all we saw was through hikers. Um, I, I didn't view the experience. I, I mean, it's a beautiful trail. There's no debating that. But I didn't view the experience as as a wilderness experience. You that's, know, that's interesting. I, I did the same thing um, a few years ago from Springer Mountain North to get close to the North Carolina border. Yeah, over Christmas break, over Christmas, and it was freezing, and there were hundreds of people out there. Yeah, 
And so what, what I've been saying is that the Appalachian Trail, as people like to think about it, is essentially dead, right? There are so many people on it, um, and it's been growing steadily for years, but um, uh, the Cheryl Strayad book doubled in one year, the number of people that got on the AT, and then the Bill Bryson book, um, which I think was called The yeah. Walk in the Woods, yep, it doubled was. it again. Um, and so uh, I think at some point the Appalachian Trail Conference is going to have to do permitting or something like that the way they do on the Pacific Crest Trail. But in, in the course of those three days, I, like we didn't see a squirrel, let alone a bear. We saw one black snake. We didn't see a, a, a bird. We didn't hear a bird because there were so many people on the trail. And so for me, what it did was it reminded me of two things. It reminded me that I hate carrying a heavy backpack up a hill um, and keeping in mind that my backpack only weighed 30 pounds. Um, and it reminded me why I like kayaking, which is it's relatively easy to load a boat with gear and paddle for an hour or less and find yourself camping someplace with no one else there um, where you're not going to property. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're not going to see another soul, uh, you know, and and it gives you that relatively quick access to a, a wilderness experience. And that's why I like it. And and every time someone complains to me about how many people they see on the trail, I say, dude, you got to think about uh, sea kayaking. Um, it's a relatively small number of people that are doing it at this point. Obviously, it's only going to grow, but it's growing slowly. Um, uh, kayaking in general is is growing quickly. It's a very healthy sport in terms of growth, but it's all growing uh, in the direction of recreational kayaking. I'm going to put my boat in at a marina or on a lake and paddle for an hour. And it's growing in terms of kayak fishing. Kayak fishing is actually the largest market space uh, for growth in in the paddle community. Um, And so very few people are really doing long distance sea kayaking stuff. And I'm in North Carolina. I'm three hours from the coast. And the coast of North Carolina is amazing, secluded, quiet, protected paddleable waters, you know? Um, and of course there are things you need to learn and you need to do it safely and you need to have a skill set, and you need to, to build up to the point where you're, where you're, uh, active in the outdoors safely, but it's totally doable. Um, and is a, a relatively shallow learning curve, you know, that you do have to keep in mind that when you have a bad day, weather-wise, when you're backpacking, the ground is for the most part going to remain stable, Whereas if you have a bad day weather-wise kayaking, the surface, the medium you're moving through can become unsafe relatively quickly. So you do need to be aware of things. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't want to go over-exaggerate or under-exaggerate the, the dangers involved. Um, you need to be smart. You need to learn what you're doing. Um, and you need to take a couple lessons and, and learn the appropriate things. Um, but the immediate access to, to wilderness camping is just unbelievable. So, I mean, that just seems incredible. And and that's my sport of choice. I'm sure listeners get tired of hearing of it, uh, is long distance back, uh, bike packing, bike packing, bike touring, did that for years, but my knees are, can't hardly handle it anymore. So I think I will transition into something on the water. How, how often do you get out? You said you're in North Carolina, about three hours from the coast. Where, where exactly are you located? I'm in central, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, which okay. is the very middle of the state. Uh, depending on the direction you go, I'm somewhere between three and five miles to the coast, but I'm 15 minutes to lakes. I paddled yesterday on a lake here in North Carolina. It was 50 degrees out. The water was about 40 degrees, which is cold. Um, and it was super windy, but it was just a really, I was the only one on the lake, you know? And, and, and when I talk to people about paddling, they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's September. I'll put my boat away. And I'm like, why would you put your boat away? You know, there is no one on the water. You get the, 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 you know, beautiful North Carolina lakes to yourself. Again, as long as you're careful. And I, I touched base with a guy at the marina where I put in and he knew me and knew that I had a dry suit so that if I ended up in the water, I was safe. And he knew my experience level. Um, so he had no worries about that. But um, but he was like, yeah, have fun. There's no one else out there. That's fantastic, man. That's awesome. So uh, what... What what are some of the big 
expeditions or big endurance kind of feats of the sea kayaking world what are can you know the you know the 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 backpacking world has the triple crown a lot of people know about that and then a lot of smaller trails is there any go-to experiences with sea kayaking yeah so i gotta tell you it's a much smaller and much less organized community and as as i'm an outdoor instructor and i um uh i look for new ways to earn income in the outdoors. A few years ago, I started stand-up paddleboarding. Um, and I've, there was a woman that I work with who is a mentor to me in terms of stand-up paddleboarding, and I think I'm a mentor to her in terms of kayaking. Um, but she's always doing races, always doing long-distance events, and the, the kayaking community is, is not as good at that. And so what we do have are water trails, so sort of similar to an Appalachian trail, that are Essentially, what they do is they create a map of a water trail. You can go from point A to point B, and here are campsites about a day's distance apart. There's not a whole lot of support. Um, the campsites are maintained, but but they don't get a whole lot of traffic. And so I would say, you know, on the East Coast, you've got the Maine Island Trail, um, which runs down the coast of Maine. I, I forget off the top of my head how long it is. Um, there's the Hudson river water trail. So you can actually paddle the Hudson river from far North in New York state, all the way to Manhattan. And I've done a big section of that trail and about a days apart, there are, are campgrounds, some on, on like islands that don't allow public access after dark, but you can use the campsites cause they're water access. Um, and it's a really, the Hudson river is really beautiful. Um, where I am in North Carolina, we don't have a water trail, but what we've got are, um, the outer banks, which are a, a chain of barrier islands that run from the north end of the state to the south end of the state. Um, and what happens then is that you've got on the, the outside of the barrier islands, you've got the Atlantic Ocean. On the inside, you've got the Pamlico Sound or a couple of other sounds. The Beaufort Sound, I believe, is the other one. Um, but you can then paddle on that sound side, which is super protected. You're not paddling in big surf. It can be a little tricky finding campgrounds and the tides you have to pay close attention to because it gets super shallow in some sections, but really beautiful camping and, and paddling that runs for hundreds of miles of coast. I haven't paddled in South Carolina that much, but I'm sure it's a similar situation. I think in, in general, you could do the intercoastal uh, waterway all the way down to Florida. And then you've paddled in Florida. You've got all of those coasts, particularly on the uh, Gulf of Mexico side, um, um, just beautiful paddling options in there. Um, and then we talked about a little bit briefly, there are a handful of things that like, if you're serious, that you're going to want to do. And at some point people look at the inside passage, which runs traditionally from the North end of C or from Seattle to, um, uh, one of two options. Some people choose to go to Skagway, Alaska, which is the traditional end of the inside passage. Some people choose to go to Glacier Bay, which is a little bit further west, um, and you end in a in a national park, which is super nice. Um, when I did it, I chose to go to Skagway purely for logistical reasons um, in that my car was in Skagway and I had to get back to my car. Um, and so I, I could have gone out to Glacier Bay, but it would have added a lot of time to the trip. But right, so right. yeah, all over the country. And then I'm sure you've got similar stuff in Canada that I'm just not aware of. Um, but all over the country, you've got option options for, for good long distance kayaking. Um, nothing with the sort of recognition of the Appalachian trail, um, most people that I talk to that know about the inside passage know it from going on a cruise ship. Lots of cruise ships do the uh, inside passage. Yes, that's right. And and so most people that I talk to about the inside passage, they'll say they'll say, "Oh, I'm going on a cruise there," and I say, "Oh, I I kayak that." And there's generally a pause, and they think about it, and they're like, "What do you mean you kayaked it?" And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you "Oh, kayaked I, around I, a little." No, they don't. Yeah, know what I no, I, I I kayak from Ketchikan to Skagway, and they're like but that's the route we did on our cruise ship. It was like, yeah, exactly. And it, it takes a minute, but, oh, but oh, people yeah. finally get it. And they're like, okay, that's interesting. That is so cool. Now, if anyone hasn't looked at a map, I'm a map junkie. That's all I do half the day anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and there's just islands beyond island, just this network of islands, almost like the sea transitioning to land. And what, what was that experience like to uh, to do that? Were you by yourself, and how long did it take? Okay, so I I um 
I did the trip with a woman named Sarah who I met, who was also a, a Knowles sea kayak instructor. Mm. But essentially what happened was I, um, I decided, I think in 2009, I decided I was going to do it. Actually, you know what? I got to go back a little bit. In 2001 was when I decided I wanted to kayak the inside passage. I had done the year before my a Knowles course as a student. And what happened for me was, so I lived in lower Manhattan. And at the time, in, in September of 2001, the, the photo company that I worked for moved their photo studio from the east side of Manhattan to New Jersey. And so on the morning of 9-11, uh, I woke up, got in my old SUV, met a friend of mine, and we drove through the Holland Tunnel to go to New Jersey to go to work. And shortly after getting out of the Holland Tunnel, we heard on the radio that World Trade Center 1 had been hit by an aircraft. Mm. Um, and so initially, like everyone, we assumed it was an accident. We then shortly thereafter realized that it was not an accident when the other plane uh, hit the other tower. We're now in uh, New Jersey and all of the tunnels and all of the bridges into Manhattan are closed. And so I'm sitting in my office at a photo studio realizing no work is getting done today um the the phones in new york were not working cell phones were not as ubiquitous at the time but you couldn't make a phone call or just all the lines were busy and it finally occurred to me to email my family members who lived on long island that i was okay because i lived less than a third of a mile from the world trade center and they didn't know where i was they i mean i Sure, they assumed I was at work, but they wanted to know I was okay. Mm -hmm. So I sat in my office, you know, not getting, being able to do any work and um, not really being able to communicate with anyone. And when I'm having a bad day, what I do is I, I go to the outdoors. And this day I couldn't, obviously. So I, I started planning a trip and I said to myself, you know, the inside passage sounds cool. What would it take to do that? And so- wow. I started some research and, and on the rudimentary internet of 2001, realized I, I didn't have the gear that I needed um, and really didn't have the skills yet that I needed. So it was, uh, sorry, I have a noisy dog. Oh, no worries. My dogs are always, always in the background. <laughs> no. This episode is sponsored by Aftershocks. They are headphones with bone conducting technology. So they rest in front of your ears, not inside your ears like most headphones. And the benefit is they keep your ears free. I would have felt so much safer on my bike trips if I would have had these. But, you know, I'm on the bike for 12 hours. I'm not going to not listen to something. So I did put myself at risk a lot. And I would highly recommend something that allows you to keep your ears free and be able to listen to this show or music if you choose that. But come on, you want to listen to this show. They have a six-hour battery life awesome audio quality and you can get $50 off the Trex Air Adventure Bundle or the Trex Titanium Adventure Bundle at asp.aftershocks.com and that is also in the show notes. This episode is also sponsored by CS Instant Coffee, 100% Arabica coffee with compostable packaging. You can find them at csinstant.coffee and use Adventure at checkout for 20% off. So it was a number of years where I said, I really want to do this, but I don't know how to do this. And so finally in 2009, I was like, it's time to either do this or not. And so in 2009, I started planning. And um, by 2000, the middle of 2010, I had, I think, 10 people who said they wanted to paddle it with me. And I had no idea how I was going to get all of these people and all this gear to Alaska, but I figured some people would drop out as it got closer. And so six weeks before I was scheduled to go, I had gone from 10 people that said they were going to paddle it with me to zero. Everyone else had <laughs> bailed out. Um, I didn't think oh. it was going to be quite that extreme. And so I sent an email off to, to my friend, Sarah, who I had met through Knowles and said, hey, I'm going I'm kayaking the inside passage in six weeks. At the moment, I'm going alone. I've got it planned. I've got everything done. Everything is ready to go. But everyone backed out on me and I'd rather not paddle it alone. And so I, I was curious if you were interested in going. And she said, you know what? I am interested in going. So let me let me 
clear it with work and a couple of people and I'll, I'll give me 24 hours and I'll give you a definitive, but I, I really want to do this. So the short story is that Sarah went on the trip with me. Um, she had a, a time constraint because she had a, a job that was a little bit more finicky. Um, and my employer was game to let me go for six weeks, which is what I told them I was going to take off. So I planned, the trip was planned on a 30 day trip. Um, it's about 350 miles, depending on how you measure it. Um, but Sarah, I think Sarah's maximum was 28 days. And so she lived in British Columbia. I lived in North Carolina at the time. I still live in North Carolina. Um, I drove my boat and all my gear to Skagway and got on a ferry to Ketchikan, this, which would be our starting point. She got on a ferry in Vancouver and took the boat up to Ketchikan, and we met there and started paddling. Um, and so the plan was 28 days. The original plan was 30 days. We, we revised it to 28 days for Sarah. Um, and then we started paddling. And essentially what happened was we realized that we were, we were both experienced paddlers in Alaska. And we realized that while the weather was great and the weather report was good, at any given moment, the weather could collapse on us and we could get stuck on a beach for three or four or five days and lose all that time. And so we started off kind of hustling, feeling a little bit of a, a, the pressure of, you know, Sarah's got to be on a ferry on this day, right? Um, and so we, we paddled pretty hard for our first, de- first few days. And I actually remember our first night we camped in our, the campsite that I had researched that was going to be our campsite for our second night. So at the end of day one, we were already a day ahead of schedule. And, and we just sort of kept going like that. We ended up, depending on how you count it, <laughs> sorry about that. They're, no, it's fine. <laughs> depending on how you count it, we did it in, in 21 days, but it was really 18 days of paddling. So we really flew up the coast. Um, and, and the reason that it's 18 and 21 is we took a couple of rest days. I, of course, um, got a bad uh, cold. I got the flu. And so I was in a overpriced Anchorage, uh, not Anchorage, sorry, Juno hotel for two days with a fever and all that stuff. Um, but other than that, it was unsupported. Uh, and it, it went almost flawlessly. It was, I mean, if you take 10 years to plan a trip, it should go flawlessly, right? Um, but it went almost flawlessly. You know, we wow. had very few issues. We had um, in one 12 hour period, we got uh, cut off while we were paddling by a cruise ship that notified us via radio that it was going to be cutting across our path. And about six or seven hours later in our campsite, we had a, a very large, but I have to say very friendly brown bear in our campsite who we eventually convinced to leave. That is a story in and of itself. But at around nine o'clock at night, I heard a, a rustling in the trees behind us. And the first time I peeked out, I didn't see anything. And the second time I peeked out, there was a, a probably 800 pound bear with his front paws on my kayak. And so uh, it was an interesting evening, to say the least. No kidding. That is crazy. And I, and I bet it was remote as could be. Oh, yeah. So the, the bear was actually we were two days from Juneau at that point. Um, we went through a couple of little towns. We went through Wrangell, Alaska. We went through Juneau, Alaska. I feel like there's one more. We went through Haynes, Alaska, which was just a day from the very end. So we had three points where we could um, uh, uh, resupply if we needed to. And honestly, you know, the only thing we resupplied was Sarah liked to pack in beer and she would line cans or bottles up the keel line in the bottom of her boat because it's nice to have a cold beer at the end of a day of paddling. But the water temperature is in the 40s. And so that means the keel of the boat is in the water, which means the when you get out of your boat, you've got a nice cold beer to drink. Um, and so, but the problem was... Sounds way better than backpacking. <laughs> way better than backpacking. The problem was we couldn't, we couldn't carry enough beer for the whole trip. And so a couple times she said to me, Brett, we're going to have to stop in whatever the next town was because I need to get a six pack of beer. Uh, and so that was the only thing we resupplied. <laughs> That's too funny, man. That is too funny. Now, did you see any other kayakers out there or were you guys alone other than the cruise ships? Yeah. So, uh, we saw 
a couple of kayakers, as we were coming into Haines, Alaska, they were paddling out um, and they were just doing a little a little day excursion. We saw a couple of cruise ships and we saw in a couple of places we saw fishing boats. Not that many. Uh, I've paddled a bunch in Prince William Sound and we definitely saw more fishing boats in Prince William Sound than we did on the inside passage. But we saw a handful. A couple times we were able to get some local knowledge from some local fishermen that we paddled past. We, we didn't manage to get any fish from them, which I was a little upset about. Every time I've paddled in Prince William Sound, a fisherman has always handed off a salmon to me, which I always thought was nice. Oh, yeah. That's really something awesome to look forward to. It's marketing for them. They're gonna, they're, you're you're going to go back to wherever you live and say, I had the best salmon in the world, and it came from Alaska. Wow. I mean, it's just unbelievable to see the scenery. Do, do, you, do you ever add a little side hike or try to get up to a ridge for viewpoints or something while you're out there on the beach at night or... Whatever it, so it it depends on the inside passage. We really didn't because we really were hustling, True, um, yeah. and and we were doing long days in the in the boats. And so by the time we got to camp, it was it was pretty much make camp, make dinner, relax a little bit. The sun at that point, you know, we were there in in June and July. The sun isn't really ever setting completely, and so let's try and get some sleep and be up at four or five in the morning. But absolutely on other hikes, particularly the coast of 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 uh, North Carolina, if you paddle the inside shore of the barrier islands, it's a nice hike over to the ocean side. And so frequently what you can do is, is make a camp somewhere on an island and then walk towards the ocean, which in some places is 100 yards and in some places is a mile or a mile and a half, and, uh, and get to the ocean side. And it's just super beautiful. Um, and then you, you walk, and, you know, at the end of the day or the end of your hike, you walk back to wherever your camp is, have dinner, go to sleep, wake up, break it all down, load up the boats and, and keep paddling. Sounds amazing to just incorporate the water and the mountains and the solitude and the just, oh, it sounds incredible. If people want to get into this, how, how do you recommend them starting? I, I So I, I recommend that you uh, find a, a, a good instructor um, that can teach you the basics of paddling, um, particularly things like learning the forward stroke, um, learning um, uh, things like how to self-rescue. You don't have to learn how to roll a kayak, but if your kayak should roll, you need to know how to get out of it and get back into it. Things like safety and trip planning, I think, are all good, and a good rudimentary understanding of weather are all good. But it's just, for me, it's building experience, right? Once, once you've got a handful of strokes down and you're comfortable in the environment, you can sort of start stretching out um, your skill set and your, your comfort level. Um, and building that experience, right? It's getting used to the water, getting used to read the water, getting used to the wind and what the, how the wind affects your boat and your ability to move. Um, those, are, those are the things that I recommend. But please take at least a handful of lessons uh, to, to get a good solid forward stroke and bracing strokes and things like that. Um, and, and there are tons of places you can do that. You can do that with an ACA instructor. Even though I am not an ACA instructor, I think that they're a good resource. Um, I, I, I work for a, they don't like me to mention their name because they're a big company, but I will just say a major outdoor retailer that has an outdoor school component. Um, I teach for, for them. And so through them, you can do day long uh, kayaking courses to learn the basics. And then there are extended trips that you can do with them as well. And if you if you want to do what I did, the, the route that I did, which was a little crazy, was in uh, in 2000, I was like, you know what? I want to get serious about kayaking. And I did a two week Knowles course in Prince William Sound um, and and learned how to paddle effectively and learned how to to move in a boat uh, in terms of move uh, all your camping gear, how to pack a boat, how to make a trip plan, how to um, get to your destination safely while having an amazing experience. And I, I did that in Alaska with great instructors. And it's not as easy of an option for a lot of people to do. My course was two weeks. I think now Knowles offers eight-day courses, which they call Knowles Prime, uh, to make it a little bit more accessible for people that have normal jobs, you know. So that's a little bit more on the, the extreme edge of learning a new sport, but I think it's a really great aspect. And for me, it that's where my, my addiction to kayaking in Alaska came from. I, I went back to Alaska a couple times on my own. Then I became a Knowles kayaking instructor because I realized I couldn't afford to keep going back to, to Alaska alone. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and did that for a few years. And I think you know the rest of the story at this point. Unreal. I, I'm really 
excited to do this. Um, I'd say my only experience with it was, like I said, the 10,000 Islands area. We kayaked island to island that were all about an acre in size, beautiful beaches to the open ocean, coconuts on the shore. For four or five days, didn't see a single other person in a kayak. Exactly. It was awesome. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Fires right on the beach. Yeah. I mean, we ate coconut. We drank coconut milk all day long. It was awesome. I highly recommend it. So, yeah, you, you, this has sparked me to get back into it. So, thank you. My pleasure. I, I, I want to throw out a couple things. So, yeah. I, I mentioned I, I wrote a book called Go with an exclamation point. That's on Amazon, and it's available as a, as a physical book or a, a Kindle version. It's also available, if you're an iPad person, on, uh, on iTunes or iBook, the iBookstore. Um, but five years ago, I wrote a kayaking instruction book called Enlightened Kayaking, which is actually only available on the iPad because what it does is it breaks down a, a bunch of lessons, everything you need to know about paddling a kayak from how to get into the boat to how to roll a kayak. But each lesson has a video. And so the only way I could do that was with the iPad. And so that's on the iBook store. And then my website, which is Adventure Otaku, um, the word adventure and the word otaku, O-T-A-K-U, started as a blog, but has a lot of video. Um, And I've been writing that since, I want to say, 2006 or 2007. Um, And so there's tons of information about trip planning and learning how to paddle a kayak. And there are a lot of videos, instructional videos for kayaking and stuff on there. You have to dig a little bit to find stuff, but it's all it's all in there. What what does otaku mean? Otaku is a a Japanese word that means a person with an obsessive interest. And so originally my website was paddling otaku um, and it was strictly paddling related. Um, and when I released the trip planning book, I transitioned it to Adventure Otaku. Either name will get you to the same website. Um, and I'm Adventure Otaku on uh, on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but I'm not really using Facebook. I'm just not digging Facebook these days. Yeah, I get, I get that. Wonderful. Now, do you only do classes in North Carolina or... or- so, so regular outdoor stuff. So the, the company that I work for most days, I, I teach just about everything. Um, uh, with the exception of rock climbing and mountain biking. So I teach navigation and I teach cooking and I teach backpacking skills and I teach kayaking and stand up paddle boarding, um, all through this company that I'm sure everyone can figure out who it actually is. Um, I'm just not allowed to say it. And then the other thing that I teach is wilderness medicine courses through Knowles, which is wilderness first two day wilderness first aid courses. If you are active in the outdoors, I think it's an a a great set of skills for people to have, which is to know, actually know what you need to do when someone gets injured in the backcountry. Now, honestly, most of the time that people get injured in the backcountry, it's a twisted ankle, a a torn up knee, a cut, a scrape, something like that. And we'll teach you how to handle that stuff as well as far more serious things. And those I teach all over the Southeast. So I was just actually, I think two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I taught a course in, in New York City back not far from where I used to live and in Soho, but I travel all over the Southeast teaching those courses. Um, I'm teaching one in April here in North Carolina. Um, and in general, I go about as far West as Tennessee and usually about as far North as, as Washington DC. But the, the Soho trip was a sort of a, a special occurrence. Um, and then as far South as Atlanta, I'm hoping to get to Florida relatively soon to teach some of those courses. So those are all over the place. Um, and those you can find through Knowles's website, which is Knowles.edu. But yeah, I, I, I get around and I teach a lot of things, which keeps it interesting. Awesome. Well, Brett, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, this was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, well, uh, everybody get out there, give it a shot, take a class first, hopefully by Brett and then you learn from the from the best and then get out there and and try it so i'd love for them to take a class with me but i'll i'll just be happy if they take a class perfect all right thanks man and have a good day thank you you too all right talk soon bye all right bye first of all thank you so much for listening to the episode uh secondly if you would like to get in touch you can leave us a voicemail at 812 mail pod you can also send us an email, info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Get a hold of us on Facebook, Instagram. Contact us on the website. Like, There's just a thousand ways to do it. 
if you know somebody that would make a good guest for the show, whether they're whether it's you or somebody you know with a really cool story or background or does an interesting sport, get in touch. We'd love to have them on. Also, if you'd like to be a patron, a.k.a. a supporter of the show, patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. You can sign up for as little as a buck a month. You can sign up for five bucks a month. And lastly, thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now. Go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to save 15% off the best tasting and lowest calorie non-alcoholic beer you're ever going to try. Don't forget to save $50 off a headset bundle at asp.aftershocks.com. It's my new favorite way to listen to music and podcasts and stay safe while I run and ride my bike. After all this adventure talk, if you need to go to a place and buy some gear and talk to an expert, go to backpacktribe.com. They can help you choose the right gear and they have the expertise and know-how with each piece of equipment. Now get out there and do something crazy. Also, Sway Hammocks, they are insulated hammocks, like having a tent, sleeping bag, and sleeping pad all in one. Check them out at swayhammocks.com.